My guest today is Carolina Billings. Carolina is a huge advocate for powerful and empowered women uh, in business. She runs the Powerful Women Today magazine, and she's built a community and an ecosystem. And today we're going to be discussing the power of ecosystems. Carolina, welcome. Thank you, Marcus. Pleasure to be here. Would you mind giving us a couple of minutes on your history, please, and how you ended up doing what you're doing today? Oh, yes, certainly. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things, speaking about ecosystems, speaking about organic, just organic, right? Being open, being open to possibilities. So Powerful Women Today began as a social movement. It happened after a personal life-altering a change in my life. And I found myself, um, you know, in front of a blank canvas, personally, and a little bit ill-prepared. So I had kind of gone through a divorce after being married for 20 years because I got married in my very early 20s because it seemed like a genius idea, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I found myself that although I had matured professionally, I had not done as, as well personally, right? And, and, and I mean that in just like really learning to take care of myself, right? On my own, self-care, mental, financial, professional, all of it. So um, it just really began of that. So my, a friend of mine said to me at the time, so you're 20 again, and uh, except that now you have a car and a credit card. What are you going to do with your life, right? And it was just that <laughs> blank canvas, right? And not going from a place of hurt, because what I found was when I reached out to existing groups and ecosystems that that were about, you know, post the personal change, they seem to be doing wonderful work in the area of nourishment, but in my opinion, they also seem a little bit stuck in the indignation of it all and uh, not really focusing about, so what, now what, right? Like, let's take the lesson out of the luggage and, and move on. And then at the other end of the spectrum where professional organizations were really, although personal development in the context of your profession is welcome, the whole vulnerability of uh, who am I? What can I do? Right? Is not necessarily the place to share, especially if you're drumming a business. You know, in one moment you can't be saying, you know, I am your your business partner, uh, and on the next breath it's like I just don't know what I want to do with my life. Right? It just doesn't. It, there's no room for that. So I found this void. I found this gap where really discussing possibilities and treating your personal journey, right, as, as anything else you would strategically, creating, you know, a blueprint, creating a pathway, identifying your goals and really making them happen. Not just, what is it, a goal without a deadline is a wish. So a little bit about that, right? Making it, making them actionable. And there wasn't such a thing. So we create, it, it, it created itself organically by a group of other professional successful ladies that on paper, every, every box was checked, but there was a lot missing, right? We were all approaching our forties, uh, you know, getting into, into the, the, the eve of our midlife in realizing this is not a dress rehearsal. It is time to go back and check all those things that we pinned away for another day and make them happen and see if we're still the person that wished to have those, you know, those dreams become reality. It was born from that. And uh, slowly we began to succeed at it, all these long lasting dreams, which 
part of what I found really interesting and, and was a big part of my motivation was that all these extremely successful women would speak about these parked away dreams with such nostalgia. And there were simple things like publish a book or I want to, you know, go to Paris or like there were things that were doable that somehow took a backseat in order to give, right, for everyone else. And um, so we began to move them to the forefront and make it happen. And you could see the fulfillment and happiness. People that were previously complaining about their job or their marriage or whatever, now that they were achieving their personal fulfillment, those other areas also became fulfilling, right? So we often are quick to point to the outside and go, it's my job, it's my boss, it's my husband, it's my whatever, right? But we don't look inside and said, what about me? How am I letting myself down? I see this all the time in my work because people, when they think about success, they think of one aspect of it which is the material or career side. And as a result, what they have a tendency to do is overemphasize that. And in turn, what tends to happen is that family and personal friend, uh, friend relationships tend to get eroded because there's lack of connection, there's lack of intent, there's lack of connect, uh, real presence in those lack relationships. And, sorry, say again? Lack of investment. Absolutely. Then you stop investing in yourself and it mm -hmm. starts to erode. So what I see time and time again is people succeeding towards this self-destructive state where they're in crisis, their body is pumping out cortisol and adrenaline, and they're creating life-threatening or health-threatening conditions. That, to me, strikes me as insane. But one of the remedies to that actually is community. Correct. Yeah. If you got community, you got hope, right? And so that is that is how Powerful Women Today began. It just began at the individual level, championing women's emotional and financial independence. And we say emotional independence first, exactly for that reason, what you just said. Unless you're clear about what is it that you want, you may never find fulfillment on the financial or the, or the material aspect of it. This again speaks to the neuroscience because the brain, when it sees or experiences ambiguity, automatically defaults to the worst case scenario. Now, That's right. when that happens, then you switch off your command center in your brain and your reptile and monkey takes over, at which point now you're not really thinking straight and you're reacting you're not responding, which means it's about not survival. likely to be achieved. Exactly. And revert, you're just surviving. Well, you, you revert back to what you learned first under pressure um, mm -hmm. until you've drilled that other behavior out of it and replaced it with something stronger and more valuable to you. But that takes time. And I think one of the big problems is that so many founders and so many individual specialists go out in the market and they expect things to happen a lot faster than it will. And because they're pushing so hard, they create the resistance because they try and sell to the network. They try and sell to customers at a time when they're not ready to buy. And what they're ready to do is learn. They're ready to engage in a value conversation 
but they're not ready to engage in a buying conversation. And I think we, we have to understand that, but you only learn that through experience. And where community can be really valuable is doddery old dinosaurs like me can maybe point to you know, younger people because our history is their future. What Ooh, they have- That is so powerful. That is, I'm going to quote you on that. That is, that just gave me this I stole thought. it from somewhere. Um, I, I it's I... still, like, that was brilliant. Thank you. That, that, that gave me the jolt <laughs> today. <laughs> my, my daily jolt. <laughs> Good. Well, I, I'm, I'm delighted. Thank you. Well, I mean, my, but, well, what's your response to that? Because it, it strikes me that we seem to be so fixated on trying to do everything ourselves. Whereas humanity's greatest superpower is our ability to cooperate and then come up with solutions together. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, you said it uh, during warm up that why are you reinventing the wheel? There's such a thing as bettering the wheel and finding better and newer and, and more pragmatic and applicable and, and financially you know, efficient ways of, of improving the wheel, but you don't have to reinvent it from scratch, right? And sometimes it's connecting those dots that how something works in a different or a parallel modality or industry, right? We may learn that some of the core fundamentals for, you know, marketing are applicable to accounting or you know what I mean like that cross-pollination like we don't live in a silo world anymore and we need to be open to hmm I wonder if do that exploration have that pioneering mindset especially if you're an entrepreneur a founder an innovator or leadership it's about looking in your surrounding and seeing what is happening how is it applicable to us how can we make it applicable to us Seeing patterns, like kind of like seeing in between the lines, that's where thought leadership, in my opinion, is. Well, interestingly enough, there are certain people like you and I who are very well hardwired to join the dots. Many other people don't. And certainly when I try and introduce some of my more outlandish concepts, it does take me quite some time to simplify them. Now, I think... Part of the challenge is that for many people, when they offer advice, they offer it without being invited to, and they do so without boundaries or permission. So it falls badly. Whilst the intent is good, it's rescuing. It's not being supportive. It's diminishing of someone else's capability. And in fact, a podcast that's coming out is entitled Every time you give an answer, you steal the opportunity for one of your people to learn something along those lines. Because if you don't, if you fail to ask a question, then you're disempowering somebody from an opportunity to work it out for themselves. It's and great. what I'm really curious about is how you've been able to create that kind of environment where people understand that if they're putting themselves in the community, they're volunteering for feedback and constructive criticism. And how do you make sure that it's safe enough so that they don't become brittle and defensive? Great question. Great question. I am a lifelong learner, 
and um, currently doing my dissertation, uh, my doctoral dissertation. And I believe I've been in, in school since kindergarten <laughs> and probably will be until the day I die. That being said, and attending, you know, some prestigious learning institutions and, and all that, my biggest learning experience came from becoming an accredited coach, which, and that was 10 years ago. This is before coaching became leadership, right? And um, and I took it for personal reasons and I never thought anything of it. In fact, it wasn't even in my resume. It was something I was just simply doing, you know, coming out of that, of the past into the future. And one of the things you learn in, in coaching as a communication skill is using the Socratic method, which is the powers in the question not in the answer, right? Because when you ask the right questions or when you ask a series of progressively, you know, uncovering and awakening questions and you allow the other person to respond to their truth in their reality, you're now creating leaders. This then speaks to another bugbear that I have which is the lack of women in senior leadership positions, because the evidence is very clear. Before he retired, Tom Peters sent me his book, uh, his latest book. And in there, he points to the evidence, which is very clear. When women are involved in management and leadership and board positions, profitability goes up. Retention of staff goes up. Customer retention goes up share price goes up faster and there are fewer failures. Um, so what on earth do we have to do to get break through this barrier? I know this is a perennial uh, question. It's been um, kicked around since the suffragettes and uh, probably before, <laughs> but it doesn't really seem to be being addressed. And um, I'm curious what women can do in order to achieve a greater voice and what men have to do in order to accomplish uh, that outcome as well. Because the best thing that ever happened to men was women's liberation. <laughs> well, I will quote you on that one too. <laughs> um, well, I do believe that the, the terrain, so there's a couple of things uh, to unpack there. First of all, the C-suite goal, having, having spent most of my career in leadership and, and a lot of it as a CFO, CHRO, I don't think most women appreciate the intensity, the sacrifices, and the pioneering that still needed to take place. So what ends up happening is a lot of, a lot of, the, a lot of the few, if that makes sense, a lot of the women that make it, the first thing becomes about what we were speaking about. It becomes about survival, right? So all those ideas that you were pulling the chain behind and you were pulling the movement forward sometimes become just about fitting in and becomes about proving that you deserve to be where you are. So some of the idealism, you know, gets gets forgotten a little bit, right? In 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 the sheer amount of work and, and sacrifice. So so that's one side of it. So there's a lot of there's a lot of letdown, if that makes any sense, that you work so hard. I know personally, 
my corporate career ended when I made partner. Because it was like we were great at dating, bad at marriage, right? Like it just was not what I thought it was going to be. And, 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 and it was not what I wanted it to be, right? And um, so that's one aspect of it. But on the on the positive side, a lot of what women represented, like vulnerability, like empathy, like, you know, fluidity and in, 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 in culture and in, in, in that feel good, right? Things that when I was in corporate and I was the only female in the leadership group or management group, right? If I brought any touchy-feely, I could sense it, right? It's like you, you almost have to be one of the boys or was just like, oh, just agree with her so that she moves on, right? And it doesn't help that traditionally women tend to carry portfolios like finance, HR that are traditionally, you know, kind of associated with women, right? But I think the world is changing. People are seeing, and, and, and a lot has to do with the shift in generations, in the values that the new predominantly workforce is coming in, right? The, you know, the, the bulk of the new world workforce cares about experiential. They care about alignment of values. They care about, you know, not just platitude, but actual social justice from corporations, right? And in, in, in being good corporate citizens. So I think for women, that is, is opening up a greater um, space where we can actually show up authentically and be better representation of the female leadership instead of just women that dress like men, right? To be in the C-suite or to behave like men in the C-suite. That being said, I do want to hold on to the fact that we also do not I do not think that 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 an army of women only executives in a corporation is a good thing either. I no. think gender fluidity and gender intelligence occurs when there's a good representation of both, right? Of both wiring of the brain. I think what we need to do is we need to start um, really looking at the objectives of the investors and the leadership teams and how they are compensated and keep their jobs. Because if we don't understand that, then odds are we'll find it very difficult to walk the tightrope between doing the right thing by our employees, by our partners, and by our customers, and achieving success in the eyes of investors and the market. I think we've got to stop looking at things in such a black and white manner We've got to spend more time thinking about the connectedness between the different functions in the business and how they should all be serving the purpose that the business exists for. Now, the problem begins if the purpose is to serve the interests of a tiny number of shareholders over and above the interests of the customer. The interests of the shareholders are better served by serving the interests of the customer, because you don't end up, if you have a um, a 15% churn rate, which in tech is not unheard of by any stretch of the imagination, you have to replace half your customers every three years. That's monumentally costly and inefficient, let alone ineffective. And to stand still, half of your time selling 
has to be taken up just trying to keep on the road. So you're not growing, There's you're not, just replacing. You're just yeah. replacing. But you know, you're you spinning your wheels in mud. Yeah, you said something very powerful just now. And it's the shift from shareholder to stockholder, right? And in, in, in changing that. And I think ch- changing your reframing your role from shareholder to stockholder, because without the rest of the ecosystem, and we'll go back to ecosystem, without the rest of the ecosystem, the shareholders are nothing. Without clients, without a supply chain, without employees, without everything that makes this beautiful whole, you're holding blank paper. And going back to women in the C-suite, and this is a gender evolution, and uh, not quite the revolution yet, but an evolution, is that men, and there's a lot we, we need to learn from, from each other, okay? Yeah. Men are driven, based on all research, a lot of men are driven by power and money. And those are not primary drivers for a lot of women. So it, it makes it really difficult, I think, for more and more and more women to be able to succeed and grow and carry the legacy as is, because the driver is just not there. Right, but I I think the the system is fundamentally broken. Oh yeah, um, the, the the whole idea of and um, that everyone exists to serve shareholder value is a trope on here that we constantly kick about because it's a lie. No one that I have ever met has ever got excited by coming to work in order to make their shareholder, who's already rich, richer. That's never happened in the history of humanity. So what people come to work for is in order to get their fundamental needs met. But above and beyond that, what they also need is recognition, significance. They need certainty. They need connection. They need to feel like contributing. And if you don't create those kind of environments, which is the job of leadership and the job of management, because managers have two lines on their job description, as far as I'm concerned, hire the best people and create the conditions so those people can do their best work every day. Mm -hmm. If you do that, then the commercial objectives are going to be met. But we spend so much time fixating on lazy metrics and stuff that we can't do anything about once it's happened already. But it gives us an opportunity to beat our chest and, or beat the table. And you know, short-term and say, returns. Exactly, but it's short-term. And that's mm-hmm. not sustainable. So the concept of it swinging one way or the other is terrible. Uh, We need balance. We need diversity of thought. And we need particularly diverse minds on complex, messy problems so that we can come up with elegant solutions that don't have negative, unintended downstream consequences. But that doesn't seem to be happening. No, Um, because we have reduced diversity to skin color. And we have reduced diversity to visual optics. And that is not the the fundamental value of diversity. As you said, is diversity of thought, diversity of origin, diversity of experience, diversity of education, diversity of so many things that make that environment, that make that 
the questions, the opportunities, the possibilities, the brainstorming, that much more rich, right? Just painting people, you know, of a different color for for visual platitude, that's not enough. Well, it's also insane because at least... It's insulting. (laughs) It is, but 80% of the planet is non-white, which means that you're wiping out 80% of the talent pool. 52% of the population is female. If you don't have those, if you don't tap into those talent pools, you're restricting your ability to be as creative and competitive as possible. If you're constraining people uh, to work in your office, you can only recruit from people who are either local and available, which means that it's normally a compromise on the best available at the time, or you've got to bring people in at high expense, which is very unlikely that most people are willing to do that. Or you pass so, on that expense to the consumer. Or right? you pass on that. It creates a vicious circle. I think we've just got to do a bit more grown-up thinking. Within your ecosystem, I'd really love to understand how you've pulled this community together in such a way that they are now cooperating with one another and you're starting to see them synthesize collaborations, joint ventures, uh, co-selling, co-marketing, supporting one another. Because to me, that has been just the most incredible bonus that I didn't, I didn't go looking for, but it surprised me just how generous and how consistent it's been. You know what? That makes all the difference. And, and it's funny you say that because... From the minute that Powerful Women Today became a business, right, a for-profit organization, which was about five years ago, one of the areas that we identified as a core value was collaboration in purpose. And this is why I believe it works, because at the end of the day, we are a boutique accelerator through digital multimedia marketing. We're not unique. There's many A marketing firms, consulting firms. However, the minute that we say we believe in empowering women and allies, because it's not just women, right? Because we, again, we want to empower our partners too, and our sons and our children, all of that. So when we say, do you believe in empowering women? Is part of your mission and vision to bring, you know, the tide that rises that, that rises all boats, right? And they go, yes, great. Do you believe in leveraging the aggregate? Which means we're stronger together. We're going to pull our gifts and create that Venn diagram, right? That at certain point, we serve together as a stronger unit. Is that a yes? Yes, great. Then we are able to provide close to twenty-five to $27,000 worth of marketing digital assets and and, and deliverables for 10% of the price. But we're only able to do it through aggregate procurement. And we're only able to do it by all of us leveraging each other's communities and each other's networks and each other's knowledge. So if you said yes to the two, then you're welcome to join our, our empowerment circle. So in effect, what um, the ecosystem is doing is it's giving individual business owners, practice owners, 
the ability to operate at a level that enterprises or mid-market companies can operate at that they wouldn't be able to otherwise um, and uh, create leverage in other areas. So procurement of services presumably being one. Are there others that maybe weren't originally intended but have then uh, spun out of the ecosystem? Visibility, impact and legacy has been a welcome a welcome outcome because initially it was about keeping the cost down, right? Then experientially, as we were coming out, you know, together to the rest of the world, the visibility is through the roof. Like we just launched our magazine a few days ago. We've already, there's already been, aside from the subscription, 12, because we're, we're monitoring the matrix, 1,200 activations of, of people viewing this magazine and, and flipping through it and, uh, and engaging and giving feedback. Right. So a lot of it is that interactiveness is is building a culture in in an ecosystem where the public knows that they are being heard. Right. Where they comment, where they we get back to them, where every single comment is, is answered, is acknowledged and is providing that dialogue. And that's why, you know, in the in the last five years, we've done close to a million social media imprints. Last year alone, over 5,000 people attended uh, all of our events, and, and our events are free. We don't charge for the event. Come, get to know us, sample us. We spoke about value, right? Let me show you, have an experience of what doing business with us is like. And if you're comfortable and you like it, let's go. There's much more where that came from. And the word so- of mouth, the referral is phenomenal when once it's not a pushy you know like you said it's not about oh here's what i'm selling it's not about my listening to what is it you need it's really interesting there there are two wonderful examples of other people who are using more strategic alliances but doing it very systematically one is a chap called simon severino Simon, with eight staff, took on two and a half thousand new customers, paying an average of between one and 21,000 euros per annum. And that was all done through a dozen strategic alliances. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Matson is a legend in this space, and he's got different levels in terms of his strategic alliances. So if you do 100 million a year reciprocal business, uh, you're at tier one. If you do 10 million, then a million. And he has a three-day event, which happens every year. I think close to a billion dollars worth of business is done in that space. Can you imagine? And exactly. I mean, you cannot possibly imagine the potency of being able to leverage the power of multiplying small numbers, because that's all it is. You know, it, and it's, it's about creating exp- exponential growth and forward momentum. And oftentimes when I tell people that being part of an ecosystem like Powerful Women Today is like going through life multiplying instead of adding. And and oftentimes it it, it goes goes past, you know, past most people of what I mean. But this is a concept that men have understood. And the two gentlemen that you just mentioned are gentlemen, 
right? So here comes powerful women today, empowering solopreneurs, because a lot of us are doctors, PhDs, MBAs, master level clinicians, like it's a pretty elite group of group of uh, strategic partners, right? That normally we might be proficient at our career path, but they're not necessarily marketers. They're not necessarily, you know what I mean? Like, like you're media proficient technicians, but you're not entrepreneurs and you're not necessarily managers if you're running your Yet own Yet they're business. all thriving because of the yeah. ecosystem and because of the community. So to imagine for a solopreneur or an entrepreneur or a professional corporation to think of being part of an ecosystem that's trading in the multi-million dollar event. Like how beautiful is that? That is the future of women. Actually, that needs to be the present of women entrepreneurship. That is certainly something that we're proud to, to be aspiring to. I think if people really consider the potential of ecosystems, it's important to start by having some shared values. And these are guide rails that define what the cult of the culture raises up and elevates and uh, what we consider to be taboo. The first one in ours is no arsehole, so no ego. There's no room (laughs) for you to get in the way. Um, It's not about you, it's about the customer. The customer ultimately is paying for outcomes. And if we're gonna serve them properly, Uh, We have to facilitate the right decision, which then leads us to the second rule, which is never take advantage, even Mm -hmm. if you can. So if I spot an opportunity with one of my clients, but I recognize that Carolina is capable of helping in another way, because many many ways to uh, skin the cat. So if Carolina could be a viable option, I have a responsibility to introduce her and give the client the option. Now, the third is buyer safety is central and comes first. If you don't create psychological safety for your buyers, they cannot lower their guard. And that means they cannot become intimate. If they can't become intimate, they can never trust you. That's right. And your number one job is to make sure they are comfortable with you, human being to human being. If they're not more comfortable with you on their buying journey next to them than without you, you're in trouble. Yes. So- and, you know, as, as, as the organizer or leader or, or visionary of these ecosystems, curating the partnerships is probably the biggest responsibility because mm. we are co-branding, right? We're tying to some degree our futures together. So keeping a well-defined rules of engagement is paramount, is paramount, right? Because you're transferring trust from one to the other and back and forth. And uh, you're borrowing trust. You're you're borrowing trust. And you have to remember that if I'm introducing you to someone uh, who knows, likes, and trusts me, your obligation is to protect my relationship with them above everything else. It's not about you making the sale. It's not about you looking good, scoring points, getting a new logo. It's about making damn sure that I feel safe, that 
when I introduce you again, I'm not going to have remorse for having done so. Mm -hmm. Referrals dry up that way. You don't want your your network to become, you know, what what I call a bridal shop, right? Yeah. Which, uh, you know, <laughs> you want long term relationships. This this is not just a one off, right? Yeah. And um, and I have to tell you, it's hard work. I I don't, uh, I'm not sure most people that view visionaries and pioneers of ecosystems that they realize the personal investment. That is made in in leading and creating and nurturing that community. So how do you create the conditions so people are um, willing to continue volunteering as you go through those early formative stages? Because that's the stage I'm at at the moment. So I'm asking for purely selfish reasons, but because your history is my future too. So I'm really curious, how did you make sure that you could maintain the momentum as people came in and out because this is a wicked problem. Stakeholders differ. They drop in and out. The rules change as you go. So how did you make sure that people were still willing to volunteer and you didn't end up being a bottleneck? Because I'm really bad at admin. There's a bunch of stuff I'm terrible at, um, which is why I've had to go out and become good at partnering because I found that People make my weaknesses irrelevant that way. So first of all, we're, we don't volunteer. We're a membership-based business model. So there's an investment up front. Right, so the community is still volunteering that yes, time. Yes, the, the community, yeah. absolutely, right? And we do have different tiers of, of membership that open up certain doors of vulnerability and trust. Right. And was so, that always the case right from the outset? Y- yes. Yes, it was. Okay. So each, so we said um, a contract, right? A social contract as well as a business contract. It's like to operate at this level, this occurs. To operate at the next level, this is what we do. This is what you do. And this is the exchange of value. And, and to give you an example, because this is a research study, right? Let, let's not forget that, that everything's documented. There's data, there's results, everything's measured and submitted for peer review for, for a dissertation. So, you know, we, we determine the expectation, right? So what we do at the strategic partner level, right? Um, they buy into the ecosystem and we invest in them deliverables and above and beyond their contractual uh, membership, right? So I try to invest in tangible ROI in them the same amount that they are investing in us. And that could be being, uh, you know, a co-author of a book, right? That they can touch, hold, feel, market or being a speaker at an event and in such. So and then the the level of of um of partnership changes as the value ladder gets created and expanded, right? So for example, um what we call empowerment circles, those are still buy-in because we believe in the personal investment. We do a lot for free, 
And, and, and we have such a wonderful community that they keep coming back and they keep supporting our strategic partners, right? By converting and purchasing the products and services or by following their brand and referring people to them. At each level, there is, there is a, a new, it's a little bit like the Freemasons. <laughs> at, at each level, there's a greater element of trust and vulnerability right? That the, the type and the nature and the quality of the conversations and deliverables that take place. So to the broader community, you know, we're teachers, right? There's, yes, there's opportunity to interact, but it's, it's mainly them receiving and sampling our services. For you to begin to interact and get more of a, of a customized, best boat, solution, you must buy in. You must have a certain level of investment, skin in the game. So we're all partners, whether you're a strategic partner or you're a member of the community within our empowerment circles, because the personal investment is what activates our social contract and our business contract. And because we're also movement-based, right? So it goes beyond just the service deliverables that they can really get from most people. We're not unique in that sense. We are unique that they're all focused and centric towards the empowerment and advancement of women's status in their allies, and that we do it through the methodology of leveraging the aggregate. Okay, that's really helpful. The stage before that, as you're building the community and you're building your contributor base and uh, your sponsors or your partners. How do you galvanize and create the momentum so that you've got the audience that will then attract? Because it, it's kind of chicken and egg, isn't it? And um, um, uh, Yes and no. It depends. If you market your community to be a solution-based, right, then it's really not that difficult to find the audience is in your being able to identify a gap in a need in the unified consciousness that you are addressing. And that's what brings, you know, multi-disciplines and in, 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 in multi-modalities together. Because we still share a common, say that you were for a better representation of fathers in family court. And that's the platform. Then you're going to get every father that's ever been through, probably going to go through in the future, has been through in the past or cares to find out about it. You got their buying. You're together for a common purpose. Once you find that common purpose, the community will come. So that's kind of the million dollar promise. Well, we believe this is every... where city, this is where the leadership, because like you, my business began as a social justice, social impact movement for almost six years. I was working full time, right? This was truly just innovation and disruption in, in, in a shift in, in thinking. The way we thought of feminism and the way we thought of empowerment, it's not about the patriarchy, it's not about pay equity. This is about women empowering themselves to be the answer to their own problems, taking responsibility for it in the here and now. I don't want in comparison in 2030, I want it now. I want it by the next Tuesday and I'm achieving it. 
You know what I mean? But I am taking responsibility for it. I'm not going to wait until they pass legislation. I don't have time for that. I'd rather do it on my own wits. So will you build a momentum based on a common purpose? And trust me, the community will find you. Like a powerful woman today, we barely have time to answer and contact every single outreach that's done towards towards us. Right? This and is it's, really interesting. It's very, very beautiful. Sorry, well, <laughs> it's, well, what's I can hear you thinking. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of the audience, but uh, I've felt uh, disenfranchised for about 20 years. Politics in the UK has descended into essentially a, a grubby, self-serving clothes shop. And yeah. it, you know, the, the, the idea that we can depend on government to help us is laughable. Infrastructure, our public services have been uh, massively run down. And the economic thinking of our leadership is that what you do is you give money to wealthy people and it trickles down. And it doesn't. We, doesn't we know that. The, the, the evidence is it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. So we, we have to take this on ourselves. Whether you're whining about Brexit, it happened. We've got to just accept the fact that it has. And we have to try and make the best of it until we can do something better. We've got the recession. It's a fact. But it's a, actually a mental condition. And many people thrive during recession whilst other people freeze and paralyze and decide that the sky is falling on their head. So in all things in life, you need to look for the balance and you need to look for the yin, the yang, and the ups and the downs and accept that those things will happen. And we have to slow down our expectation of what we're going to accomplish because the reality is we don't know our ass from our elbow most of the time. We're blundering through and guessing. We can't depend on many of the people because they have other things and pressures that are going on in their lives. And maybe we haven't been that clear in our communication. But when we actually find that common purpose mm -hmm. and we're all working towards something we genuinely believe in, then we find the energy, the commitment, the levels of engagement, the discretionary effort, and the ability to bounce back and mm -hmm. see uh, obstacles as opportunities instead of something debilitating, that's the whole thing about the human spirit. That's what business should be about. That's what life is about. You know, with that's the one we time you have, We get to make it to be. Yeah. You're dead for a very long time, and the only thing you're certain of, whatever your faith, is that you've got one crack at it. And if this is your one crack, don't waste it. Crack away. <laughs> take the chance, take the risk. And, you know, I often thought, you know, when people pick it, when, when they get together and, yeah. and they, they pick it with those signs, Black right? Hearts. Yeah. And I, I used to always wonder, what would it take for me to feel passionate enough about something yeah. to pick it? Right. That was always because, you know, we see like all the civil rights movement. We see, you know, the unions tend to tend to do that. But when you think about all, those two examples, the, the common denominator is that common goal. Right. So it's activating the that 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 
purpose. So much, that common purpose. And something Meaning. else you said. Something else you said that changed my business, changed my world, right? Stop thinking local. Yeah. So maybe every single shop on Main Street's closed. You know what? There's 8 billion people out there that you can do business with virtually. Exactly. So is is don't think local. Like support your local businesses, of course, right? But if you are in need of activating an income, there's is never been easier for anybody to share well, their knowledge into drama business online. One area that's incredibly empowering is the whole area of microloans. And you, know, you, you look at the work of Mohammed Yunus uh, with uh, Grameen Bank over in uh, Bangladesh, and it's quite breathtaking how empowering that has been, giving women $10 loans and creating the ability to sustain themselves and their families. Now, what we also, uh, I think, uh, really should be looking at is these uh, this micro value that you can get from the ecosystems. The microloans are very powerful, but being able to tap into over a hundred of my or a hundred of my partners, all of whom are experts in some very specialist field, but being able to then bring them together on a customer's problem is really very, very powerful. That's what we um, do at Powerful Women today, every single day. What's really interesting about that is the difference of the experience that the customer has. Because when you've got a bunch of people who are not trying to sell, but are really focused on understanding the customer's problem, and then coming up with a really elegant solution to solve it, what sort of feedback have you had from customers who've experienced that through your community and through your ecosystem? All kinds of feedback. One is by participating. Another one is by keep coming back, right? And even just with our magazine, people sending me messages that say, thank you for creating a magazine that, you know, provides real solutions and that speaks to women intelligently and is not about consumerism. People will tell you, and, and you ask, and you ask for feedback, and you involve them. And, 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 and I think the, the, the audience is there. I think the part that most thought leaders, the part where, where we need to mature, as you said, is in the consistency. Because being a thought leader, social justice, social impact, it takes time. So this is not a, a t-shirt cash register, right? So if you're looking to monetize immediately, that this is not the way to do it. For that, there's other business models, right? But once, once this train gets moving and going, there's no stopping it. There's no stopping it. Is uh, I'm living proof that it, it can be done. And it ought to be done. Caroline, I think we'll finish on that uh, optimistic <laughs> note. How can people get hold of you? Absolutely. Powerfulwomentoday.com. We are on LinkedIn, YouTube. If you want to meet our mentor experts, hear our messaging and, and experience our ecosystem, uh, best way to go is our website, powerfulwomentoday.com. Okay. Two 
final questions then. First one, what's currently impossible for you that if it was possible would be a game changer? Oh, more hours in the day. <laughs> Is it more hours in the day? Or do you want to be able to get more done in the time that you have? Well, again, comes down to value, your your value system, right? I believe in organic growth. And there's that tipping point of organic growth where you carry yourself to 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 the point where you can begin to grow your team and, and begin to have deeper impact, right? But that usually comes through some kind of dilution of ownership or debt or anything like that. And at the present time, I'm not interested in that. So I rather, I rather just say, I wish I had more time in the day, right? But I, I, you know, I love to get to the point where our magazine is in print that it's got, you know, millions of subscribers in circulation throughout the world and, and it will come, it will come. And I'm good enjoying the journey getting there. <laughs> Excellent. And if there was an opportunity to uh, cash in a golden ticket and go back and whisper in the ear of the idiot 23-year-old Carolina who thought she was invincible and would live forever. What advice would you give her that you know she would have ignored but would have been very helpful? Own the power your diversity brings. See, the 23-year-old Carolina did not feel the power of her diversity and uniqueness, where I do now. So it would be that. Own your diversity, own your uniqueness, and shout it to the world, and don't give a second thought what anybody else thinks about it. On that note, Carolina Billings, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And I look forward to getting a link to this recording to share with our network. Thank you, Marcus. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitive Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Do get in touch with Carolina and check out uh, the community and make sure that you check out the free resources because if she can help you uh, and her community can help you, you'd be mad not to. Now, if you're struggling to walk the tightrope between doing the right thing for your customer and doing the right thing to keep your job and stay successful in your sales role, then maybe it's time to give me a call. Let's have a chat about what you want your career to give you in life. There's links in the blurb. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.